Well, boys and girls, just like the morning service, we also read the Bible at night, and we're going to do that together just now. So your mums and dads are going to get their Bibles out, and you might want to follow along with them. Here at our, our, at our evening service, boys and girls, we're looking at the story of Daniel, which is a great story that some of you might know. And we're going to read from Daniel chapter 2 tonight, and it's, it's on pages 737 through to 739. It's quite a long chapter, boys and girls, but we're not going to read it all. We're just going to read parts of it, and you might want to follow along with the big person sitting beside you. So Daniel chapter 2, and it's pages 737 through to 739. And first of all, we're going to read verses 1 to 3, and then I'm going to say a little bit, and then we're going to read some more verses. So Daniel chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, and this is God's word to us. It says, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And then from verses 4 down to 16, we read about what the king does, he calls some people in to tell him what the dream means. They don't know what the dream means and the king gets really, really cross and he threatens to kill them all, which is really, really bad. But then we pick up the reading from verse 17 because Daniel, with God's help, is able to interpret the dream. So we're gonna read from verse 17 down to verse 24. It says, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and you have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon he went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Now we've just a little bit more to read, boys and girls. Quite a long chapter. We have a few more verses to read. We need to go down to verse 31, and we're going to read down to verse 45. So Daniel is going to tell King Nebuchadnezzar what happened in his dream. So this is what it says, verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image... This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood up before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. 
But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell, you, tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to pages 737 through to 739 and to Daniel chapter 2. Uh, we're thinking about this long second chapter from Daniel this evening, and we're continuing this series that we started uh, last Sunday evening. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, and it's pages 737 through to 739 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, I wonder, do you have a recurring dream or a recurring nightmare? Is there a dream that you have every now and again, a dream or nightmare that has stayed with you from childhood? It could be a dream that involves phobias that you have. Uh, let me tell you about a recurring nightmare that I have. When I was at school and university, I was someone who burnt the midnight oil. It might, not surprise, it might surprise you, but honestly, I was someone who burnt the midnight oil. When it came to revision and exams and coursework, coursework and assignments, I tended to push things right to the deadline, right to the last minute. So revision would go right to the end. I would try and cram, never very successfully, to be honest. Assignments would be written on the day before they were due, but they were always done. I was never caught out, always got the work done in the end. It's just how I operate. It's just always how I've operated as well. I tend to work better when I'm under pressure and when there's a deadline looming. Here's my recurring nightmare, though. I'm back at school or uni, and I've got an assignment due. And it's the night before it's due, and I don't have enough time to get it done. I've run out of road, and I'm going to fail the course. Now, you're maybe thinking, huh, weird dream. You've got some underlying issues there, Stephen. You might want to go and talk to somebody about those. But it's a dream that fills me with fear, fills me with dread, makes me waking up in a bit of a sweat. And it's all my own fault, because if I had a different pattern of working, I wouldn't have the dream. So do you have a, a recurring dream or a, a recurring nightmare? Is there a dream that you have every now and then, a dream or a nightmare that has stayed with you? Uh, we start with that slightly strange question in mind tonight because in Daniel 2, 
Nebuchadnezzar has a recurring dream. Daniel 2 verse 1 says, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. These dreams are giving him an awful lot of trouble. Sleepless nights, worry night and day. He is King Nebuchadnezzar, ruler of Babylon. This wasn't the way it was supposed to be, particularly so early in his reign. It's only the, the second year. King Nebuchadnezzar was powerful and successful. He was the leader of the mightiest nation in the world. If you'd met him or if you'd seen him on TV, you would have been impressed by him. Here was a, a man of weight, a man of power. Think about the, the power and prestige of the office of the President of the United States or, or the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. You're about halfway to glimpsing Nebuchadnezzar's status as you think about those two men. In his dream, Nebuchadnezzar saw a great statue of a man. And as you'll see as you look down to verses 31 to 33, its appearance was frightening. A recurring nightmare. Its appearance was frightening. The head of this image that Nebuchadnezzar's dreaming about was of fine gold its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of clay and partly of iron. And then as the king watched his dream develop in verses 34 to 35, we're told that there's this stone cut by no human hand and it strikes the image on its feet of iron and clay and it breaks them into pieces. And then there's a lot more detail about what happens there. But it's Nebuchadnezzar's recurring nightmare. You're maybe thinking, weird dream. He's got some underlying issues as well. He, he might need to go and talk to somebody too. But here's the issue. The, the thing that was worrying Nebuchadnezzar most of all, the thing that was unsettling him the most, was that his dream was leaving him with the feeling that he wasn't in control. He was ruler of Babylon, but this, may, this dream made him doubt who was really in charge. The, the big point of this chapter is that Nebuchadnezzar is not the one who is in control. The main point of this passage is that God is sovereign and in control and his kingdom is everlasting. We're going to try and unpack this chapter using that main point, but before we do that, let me just remind you very quickly of what we saw and learned last week. The people of God are now in exile. Some of the younger generation have been shipped off to Babylon and Daniel and his friends are in that group. They're coming under pressure in a number of areas. They're being relocated, re-educated, renamed, and they're having their diets changed. But that final change is a step too far for Daniel and his friends, and they show great resolve as they stand for God in Babylon. And what we saw last week was that God was faithful to Daniel and his friends, not because of their faithfulness, but because that's just who he is. He is the faithful God. And Daniel 2 is going to reveal another facet of God's character. Tonight we're going to see his sovereignty and control over all things. Our main point, you remember, is that God is sovereign and in control and his kingdom is everlasting. Let's get into this chapter. It is a complicated chapter. We didn't read it all. We read a fair bit of it. We didn't read it all. It is just really quite long. But we're going to try and understand it with two headings. We're going to see man's inability God's ability, and then man's inferiority and God's superiority. First of all, man's inability, God's ability. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't like his dream, and he tasks some of his magicians, enchanters, and sorcerers to tell him what it means. 
He has been reduced to a trembling insomniac by a dream and he wants to know what it's all about. Verses 1 to 11 of this chapter tell us about the conversation Nebuchadnezzar has with his magicians. He just wants them to tell him what his dream means, as you'll see in verse 3. And being a king who was used to getting his own way, he uses the carrot and stick motivational technique. You can see it in verses 5 and 6. He says, If you don't make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. So that's the stick. But if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and honor. That's the carrot, carrot and stick. It's pretty clear on Nebuchadnezzar's part. But the wise men can't answer. The, the men do not have the ability to do what the king wants. They don't know what the dream was. So they actually can't make up an interpretation that will please the king. In verse 11, they say, the thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. It's a fair point from the magicians, but the king is too desperate and too used to getting his own way to listen to logic. He was angry and very furious and he wanted all the wise men in Babylon killed. And this is what happens when insecurity, anger and power combine. It's an, it's an amazing response in a way. Nebuchadnezzar condemns to death all his advisors because they can't do something that is impossible. It's completely irrational. And it's at this point that Daniel and his friends find themselves in the firing line. Having graduated from the University of Babylon in chapter 1, they're now numbered among the king's advisors, and so they're on the death list too. Verses 12 to 16 are important because they tell us what Daniel does when he Here's about how he is on Nebuchadnezzar's death list. This is worth noticing. Daniel is, is very calm in these verses. You'll see in verse 14, he replies with prudence and discretion to Arioch as he is about to go out and kill all the wise men of Babylon. He plays for time in verse 15 by asking why the king's decree is so urgent. But the most notable thing that he does comes in verses 17 and 18. He prays. He goes to his house and he tells his flatmates what's happening. He tells Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah and tells them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, concerning the dream. D Daniel is a really savvy guy here. He, he asks that God would show mercy and he knows that God can help. And his attitude is different to the pagans who panic. What he says in verses 20 to 23 is so different to what the magicians say in verse 11. He remains calm, he asks good questions, and then he prays. He prays because he knows that God is sovereign and in control. Verse 19 is the critical verse in this chapter. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So what we're seeing is that man's ability, what we're seeing is man's inability and God's ability. Daniel has the dream revealed to him by the God of heaven. The magicians can't provide the interpretation, but God can. There is a limit to human wisdom. Do you know, one of the most arrogant and sinful things that human beings can ever think or say is that we know better than God. We just can't. We'll never know better than God. Human wisdom is limited. We can put satellites in space, but we can never number the stars. 
We can build impressive buildings and roads and cities and towns, but we can't form something out of nothing. There always has to be a something for us to use. And where this lands for us in terms of application is that we should be very careful about listening to the wisdom of the world, particularly when it comes to moral or social issues. Just because it's 2022 doesn't mean the Bible is wrong about some fundamental issues. We also need to remember that the Lord has revealed his wisdom to us in his word, the Bible. It's important to see that God doesn't just control the future. He also reveals the future. And you see that in what Daniel says in verses 21 and 22. We don't need to flap around seeking to piece together our own wisdom when we have the scriptures. We also don't need to interpret strange dreams. Instead, we should turn to the Bible and mine its depths. We should store it in our hearts and treasure its riches. Do you know, if we pursued God's wisdom with half of the enthusiasm as some of the other things we chase after, our lives would be very, very different. Think back over the past week and think about the pursuits that have filled your hours and minutes. Have you been seeking the Lord's wisdom and power or have you poured yourself into the pursuit of the world's emptiness? Man's inability, God's ability. The magicians just can't interpret the dream, but God can. That's because he is sovereign and in control. Here's our second point this evening. Man's inferiority, God's superiority. This point will be slightly longer than our first. Having had Nebuchadnezzar's dream and its interpretation revealed to him, Daniel makes some arrangements to speak to the king. He tells Arioch in verse 24 to stop the kill order and to make an appointment for him with Nebuchadnezzar. There's some chit-chat and formal, formal introductions in verses 25 to 30, after which Daniel gets down to business. Now, I don't want to lose you tonight, but we need to spend a few moments on this dream because it's quite a controversial part of Daniel. So if you look down to verses 31 to 35, Daniel recounts the king's dream. We read it earlier on. There's a metal statue that's made up of four different types of metal, gold, silver, bronze, and iron. And you can be sure that as Daniel interpreted that and told Nebuchadnezzar that, he was thinking, well, that's a good start. The magicians couldn't do that. This chap, Daniel, might be able to help. After telling the king his dream, Daniel provides an interpretation for the king, an interpretation that has been provided by God. So there's a statue made of four types of metal, and Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. That's verse 38. He continues in verses 39 and 40 and says, Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom. Now, the four parts of the statue represent four different kingdoms. And this is where it gets complicated, and I really don't want to lose you. But historically speaking, the four kingdoms, the four empires that make up the statue have been, in my opinion, accurately identified as Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. So Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Some people use this dream to say that Daniel is speaking about modern-day empires like the European Union and other empires like it. The clincher to why that's wrong, in my opinion, is that Daniel wrote and recorded these things two and a half thousand years ago. 
Did he know about the European Union two and a half thousand years ago? I think we can safely assume that he didn't. The four kingdoms that make up the statue have been accurately identified as Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece and Rome. But to go any further to talk about this for any longer is actually to miss the point of the passage. Instead of speculating about what the kingdoms are, what they mean and what it's all supposed to come together as, it's best to stand back from the painting, as it were, so that we can see the whole thing and the effect the divine artist is wishing to bring through. What is the big story shown by this painting? Well, it's this. It's that God sets up and God brings down kingdoms. So however mighty and brutal their kingdoms are, they will come and go. God is sovereign and in control and his kingdom is everlasting. Daniel says that in verses 44 and 45. Look at what he says. He says, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold." You can imagine that Nebuchadnezzar wasn't as happy now as compared to what he was when Daniel began. Maybe this guy from exile is wrong. It is, after all, only one interpretation. But look at the end of verse 45. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Here's the thing. Man is inferior. God is is superior. The kingdoms of, of men rise and fall. The kingdom of God will last forever. Human history is under the control of God and he has a purpose which will be achieved. The, the message of the dream was for the young exiled Daniel as much as it was for the all-powerful king. The, the interpretation of the dream reassured Daniel that God would one day replace every kingdom and bring into being his everlasting kingdom. Let me, just talk you, t t let me just take you on a walk through biblical history from this point on. So the Babylonian kingdom, King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, eventually fell to the Medo-Persians. Medo-Persian empire was taken over by the, Greece, the, the Greeks when it was defeated in battle by Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great's empire divided. The Romans took control. And the Roman empire ruled most of the, most of the known world. Roman power smashed armies wiped out nations, toppled kings, and imposed its culture everywhere it went. But at the high point of Roman rule, in a backwater village in the Middle East, a teenage virgin had an angelic visitor who told her that she, should have a, she was going to have a son and that his name would be Jesus. And then listen to this. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. How will this be? The girl famously answered, since I am a virgin. God will do it, the angel said in essence. He will take care of it. Your son will be the one who will one day announce that because he has arrived, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus was and still is the stone that God fashioned out of nowhere. Here was the everlasting kingdom of God. Lots of people thought he was a political messiah, but all of those dreams crashed and burned when Jesus died on a Roman cross. The statue had smashed the stone. But it wasn't possible for death to keep hold of this king. And then he told his subjects, his people, to go out into all the world in the power of his spirit 
and call people of all nations to enter his kingdom by bowing their knee to him. He also promised that one day he will return and rule visibly and eternally over his world-encompassing kingdom. And even though at the turn of the first century it must have seemed impossible that the Roman Empire would ever fade and perish, fade and perish it did. The stone smashed the statue and the stone became a mountain that filled the entire earth. The kingdom of Jesus is an international kingdom and its size and breadth make Babylon and all other human kingdoms look small fry. Man's inability, God's ability, man's inferiority, God's superiority. God is sovereign and in control and his kingdom is everlasting. Now, what does all of that do for us as we sit here on Sunday evening? In, in, in a place that the world says is irrelevant, outdated, wrong, even dangerous. A few things. This passage should restore our confidence in who God is. He, he is the big things and the small things in the palm of his hand. Nothing is beyond his control. Connected to that, we, we have seen more evidence of God's grace and goodness than Daniel did. We have seen the stone arrive. We know the name of the king whom death could not hold. We can look back at history and around in our world and see how the stone became a mountain. But we're so easily discouraged. We watch the news this week and think, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening? We so easily complain about everything, looking back to the good, good, good old days and, and worrying that the church can't survive the empire of a, of a, of a secular post-Christian culture. Because that's what we're moving into now, a secular post-Christian culture. We're maybe already there. Do you know, too much of our time is spent being angry and panicking rather than praying, rather than being humble, being calm and, and having quiet, confident belief in a sovereign God who is in control and whose kingdom is everlasting. Let me tell you this great story. In the 1920s, about 100 years ago, Lord Reith helped to establish the BBC and he served as its first director general. He was a somewhat severe man from the highlands of Scotland. As the BBC began to be carried along by the tide of secularism that swept through Britain in the 1960s, a young producer stood up in a meeting and said to Lord Reith that the world was changing and the BBC didn't need to continue with religious programmes. People aren't interested, church is outdated, we need to forget about all this stuff. Lord Reith, who was about six foot six tall, stood up, told this young man to take a seat and simply said this. He said, the church will stand at the grave of the BBC. The church will stand at the grave of the BBC. And you know what? It really will. The kingdom of God will stand when every organization and institution and empire meets its end. In Luke 12, 32, Jesus said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you know, our church may seem very small. As you drove to church tonight to meet with our church family here in Bukna, you passed quite a few houses and households who, who don't really give a thought to what you're doing. It's irrelevant, it's outdated. It may feel really little. We might feel really small. But the kingdom of God is unsmashable and it has, been, and it has an embassy in our area 
called Bukna Presbyterian Church. We shouldn't be discouraged tonight. We shouldn't be discouraged at the end of an of, at the end of an historic week in some quarters. Instead, we should commit to Jesus and to his church because when the Lord builds his church, we are being used to build the only kingdom that will last forever. It may feel small, but it's never in vain. That's why we read 1 Corinthians 15 at the start. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is not a waste of time. This kingdom is eternal and it belongs to God. Man's inability, God's ability. Man's inferiority, God's superiority. God is sovereign and in control and his kingdom is everlasting. That's the message of Daniel 2 in a nutshell, a long and complicated chapter. Hopefully the sermon hasn't been either of those two things. But it is my prayer that you leave tonight with your confidence restored in our great and sovereign God. We don't need to panic. We don't need to vent and get angry. That's because we can enjoy a deep confidence, even as the tides seem to run against our faith, because because God is God. He is in control, and his kingdom, his church, ultimately knows no rivals. What if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian? Well, you need to realize that history is moving towards that great day, the first day of eternity, the first day of God's rule and reign over his perfect kingdom. And unless you're trusting in Jesus, then you won't be able to experience that perfect kingdom. If you're outside of Christ this evening, the simple message for you to take home is that God is sovereign and is in control and that history belongs to him. You can try and oppose him, but in the end... His kingdom will rule over all. He calls you to his side tonight. He calls you to join Team Jesus and to enjoy all the benefits of knowing him and living in his family. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that as we read your word and study it together, that you reveal yourself to us. And we thank you that we've seen another facet of your character tonight, that you are the God who is sovereign and in control of all things, that you are the God who is able and superior to us. We bow down in humble worship and adoration tonight at who you are and how you have reached down to save us. We thank you that if we have trusted in Jesus, that you have welcomed us into your kingdom And Lord, we look forward to that great day when we will be with you in your perfect and everlasting kingdom. Until then, help us to have confidence in who you are and that despite all the change that we're seeing, that you're still God and that you're still on your throne. Father, we pray for those who haven't yet trusted you as well. We pray that they would see that all of history is moving towards that great day when your people will be with you forever. We pray that those who don't know you would come to know you in these days and would be welcomed into your kingdom too. And we ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.